Well, let's turn now to that passage of scripture that uh, Jeffrey read so beautifully for us earlier in Isaiah chapter 11. If you'd like to use the Bible as provided for you, there's one there in the seat back near you. It's page 575, 575, uh, Isaiah 11, the power of the word of God. Couldn't you just sense the power as Jeffrey was reading that passage? The power of God's word, the beauty of God's word. And certainly this is one of the most beautiful passages that I truly believe in all of the Word of God. This beautiful passage, Isaiah chapter 11, which is a part of the promise. The promise. That's the theme that we've had here in our Advent season. These promises that come to us about Messiah from the great prophet Uh, Isaiah, who was in many ways the prophet of Messiah. No one spoke and prophesied of the coming of the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, like the great prophet uh, Isaiah. And many of our Christmas carols, if you become familiar with the book of Isaiah, you will see that many of our well-known Christmas carols are lifted right out of the pages of Isaiah. And he talks about the promise of his coming. Uh, This week as I was preparing for the message back in my study, and I was thinking about Messiah and these great prophecies of Messiah, well, it came to me that I hadn't listened to that great oratorio, The Messiah, uh, by uh, George uh, Friedrich Handel, I hadn't listened to that in its entirety since back in my college days. And so while I was doing preparation, I listened to Messiah actually two or three times. I had that playing in the background and I got to hear it over and over again, the phrases of it. And you know, I came to recognize something about George Frederick Handel. He's a plagiarist (laughs) because he's taking the words of Isaiah. Now, I'm joshing when I'm saying that. But the great oratorial handle is just lifted out of Isaiah. And it talks about the promise of this coming one, the promise of the kingdom, the promise of the age of gold. I love that Christmas carol It came upon the midnight clear. And the last stanza says this. It says, For lo, the days are hastening on by prophet bards foretold when with the ever-circling years comes round the age of gold. When peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors bring, and the whole world give back the song which now the angels sing. Let me repeat that line. When with the ever-circling years, 2018 is coming to a close. Ever-circling years But every circling year, one year closer to the age of gold, right? The age of gold is coming. 
And that is what Isaiah 11 is about. It's about the age that we wait for. And friends, I truly believe the age which is very near. It's very near. What is the golden age? The golden age is the kingdom of Messiah. The kingdom of Messiah. And I want us to look at this wonderful passage about the promise of the kingdom of Messiah. And it's taken here from the original score. <laughs> Not the Messiah by Handel, but this from the very pen of God held in the hand of Isaiah the prophet. Now notice this revelation of Messiah. There'll be a revelation of Messiah. And let me remind you, when we talk about the revelation of Messiah, he was prophesied many times in the Old Testament. But Joe, Pastor Joe, told us three weeks ago that when you look at the prophecies about Messiah, it's like you're looking out over a mountain range, maybe like the range of our beautiful Smoky Mountains. And you see these mountaintops, some lower and some in the distance higher, but you don't see the valleys in between. And that is the way it is, certainly with this passage, because in this passage that Jeffrey read for us, you have two mountaintops. Two mountaintops. And the two mountaintops are the two advents, the two comings of Messiah. His first coming and his second coming. Now, there's a valley between those two mountains that's already over 2,000 years in breadth. But those two mountains exist. The first coming of our Lord and the second coming of our Lord, the advent. Now, what do we learn about Messiah as we look at verses 1 through 3, verses 1 through 3, you have the first mountain, the mountain of his first coming. And then beginning with verse 4 and following, you have the mountain of his second coming. We're going to look at both today. First of all, what do we learn about Messiah from this passage that's revealed about his first coming? Well, the first thing that we learn in verse 1 is we learn something about Messiah's ancestry. Messiah's ancestry. Isaiah said, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. This is verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, notice he refers to the Messiah as being like a, a shoot or a branch. And, and that brings back thoughts for us that were here last week of Isaiah 53. Do you remember Isaiah 53 verses 1 and 2 that says in verse 2, He will grow up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. In 50, Isaiah 53 verse 2. Messiah is going to come and grow up in a very dry and arid spiritual existence around him. He's going to come out, out of the ground that's very dry and in a very barren spiritual world. 
That's the way he came. But notice it says here, looking at our text, verse 1, it says that this root, this shoot, this little spud is going to come out of the stump of Jesse. Do you see that? Now, unless you understand what is meant here by the stump of Jesse, you will miss so much of what is being prophesied about Messiah. And you will miss the miraculous accuracy of the word of God when it comes to Messiah's birth. Because you see, God made some promises about the Messiah. And the first person to receive that promise of a people to come from him, one of which would be the Messiah, was Abraham. God called Abraham out of the darkness of idolatry and he became a follower of God. And God said, from you, Abraham, yes, you, there is going to come a blessing that is going to come on all the nations of the earth from you. Now, that promise was made when he was an old man. And over 20 years went by and the promise still wasn't fulfilled. But God said, I'm going to give you a son and call his name Isaac. Isaac was born and God said, the promise will come through Isaac. Then Isaac had sons. And God said to Isaac, the, the promise will not come through Esau. The, the firstborn, the promise, this Messiah promise will come through Jacob. And the promise went to the line of Jacob. Then you remember Jacob had 12 sons. One of those sons was sold into slavery by his brothers. His name was Joseph. He went down to Egypt. And God delivered him, raised him up to be a savior. So that when his father Jacob and his brothers and their families would come to Egypt in the time of famine, they would be delivered. God had sent him ahead. And there Jacob finished his days in Egypt. And when it came time to die, the Bible says God told Jacob to gather all 12 of his sons around him. And he said a word of prophecy over every one of those sons. And when he came to Judah, he made a very specific prophecy. Here's what Jacob said. Genesis 49.12. 49.10 rather. He said to his son Judah, The scepter, the scepter, the sign of the king, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the lawgiver from between his feet, his ancestry, until Shiloh comes. Now, what does Shiloh mean? Shiloh is a Hebrew word that means the one to whom it belongs. The scepter will not depart from the tribe of Judah until the one for, to whom it really belongs comes. He will have the scepter, and this is what Jacob said to him, all the peoples will be gathered. That promise was made to Judah. Years went by. And years went by. And God sent his prophet Samuel to a man named Jesse. Who lived in Bethlehem. And one of Jesse's sons was to be anointed king. 
You remember the story? He got his seven sons and brought them before Samuel. And the spirit said to Samuel, he's not here. And Samuel said, don't you have any other boys? And it's like Jesse says, oh, come to think of it. There is an, uh, the eighth one. Yeah, yeah. We're always overlooking him, David. He's out there looking after the sheep. Samuel says, you bring him. And when David, that teenage boy, was brought before Samuel, the Spirit said, this is the one. Anoint him. And so the promise came to David. And David was the first to gather all the tribes of Israel into one united kingdom. And he brought the Ark of Covenant to Jerusalem so that the peoples would gather there in unity to worship God And God said to David, are you going to build me a house, David? Okay, I'll let your son Solomon finish it. But let me tell you this, David, I promise you I'm going to build you a house. I promise you that from you the kings will come. The ones who are to rule, my kingdom will never depart from David. So the promise, Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, to Jesse, to David. That happened in 1000 B.C. But the people of God turned away from Jehovah. He was patient. He was merciful. He tried to bring them back in judging them, but they would not hear. And in 722 B.C., ten of the tribes carried away by the Assyrians never to return. And in 586 B.C., the tribes of Judah were carried away by the Babylonians. Millions carried away. And 70 years later, only 50-some thousand came back. What had happened to David and his kingdom? It was like a stump. The tree of Jesse, the tree of David had been cut down and just a stump remained. And that's the way it was, friends, for 500 years. The house of David was just a stump. Until after 500 long years had passed, a couple by the name of Mary and Joseph, descendants of David, made their way to a little town called what? Bethlehem, the hometown of whom? David. And there was born to Mary, the descendant, herself a descendant of David, to her was born the shoot out of the stump of Jesse, the branch Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the king of the Jews, was born. Out of the stump of Jesse, a shoot will come. And that shoot was like in dry ground for 30 years. Obscurity, religious deadness. But when that shoot, Jesus, was 30 years of age, he sensed the Spirit speak to him. And he went to the Jordan River. And his forerunner, the great one who proclaimed his coming, John the Baptist, was baptizing. And the Messiah, 
the shoot out of the stump of David, came and presented himself for baptism. And John the Baptist baptized him. And when Jesus came up out of that water, just like Cindy came out of the water this morning, the Bible says the Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. And the Father spoke a word of blessing over his Son, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Bible says the Spirit came upon Jesus without measure completely dominated and controlled by the Spirit, he began to bear fruit. And what kind of fruit did he bear? Well, look at this anointing. Look at Messiah's anointing, verse 2. Here is the fruit that he bore. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's his baptism. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Did you hear that? The sevenfold spirit. One spirit, but seven perfect expressions of it because Jesus had fully and totally the spirit of God upon him. And he bore fruit in his life of the spirit of God He bore it in a spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Notice that Jesus had the fear of the Lord upon him. What does the fear of the Lord mean? It it, it means reverential love. That's what Jesus had upon him. A reverential love for God. That was Messiah's attitude. You see his ancestry, his anointing. Here's his attitude. Look at verse 3. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. What's the fear of the Lord? Not a dread that makes you want to run from him. Not, Not fear that he will assault you but when you really know him in his awesome glory and you know him in his amazing grace then you're drawn to him in reverential love that's what the fear of God is reverential love and what happens to a person when you have the fear of God upon your life what happened to Jesus look at verse 3 his delight was in the fear of the Lord. You know what the fear of the Lord brings to your life, friends? Joy. Not joylessness. Not bondage and legalism. The true reverential love of the Lord frees you. And you're filled with joy. I love what David said. Have you ever read this in Psalm 211? You can read it in a few weeks if you get the devotional book with me. All right. That that was pretty sad. I'm sorry. (laughs) Psalm 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Rejoice with trembling. Reverential love. When you fear the Lord, your heart's filled with joy. That's what filled the heart of Jesus. Even to the cross, he was filled with joy. Oh, he hated the cross. He despised the shame. 
But he went to Mount Calvary with a joy in his heart because he was doing it for the Lord. And guess what, friends? you know why there was joy in the heart of Jesus from the top of Mount Calvary? Do you know why he had joy there? Because from the top of Mount Calvary, lifted up on that cross, he could see another mountaintop. He could see the mountaintop of his kingdom. You see, he went to the mountaintop and he had seen the other side that by his death and his coming resurrection, the kingdom would come in the hearts of men and the nations would be drawn. He said, if I be lifted up, I will do what? I will draw all men to me. And that's what he saw. What Jesus saw and what Isaiah saw is in verses 3 through 9, he saw the reign of Messiah. Here's the next mountaintop. 2,000 year valley in between. But friends, we're just closer to it than ever before, right? The mountaintop of the reign of Messiah. This describes the second advent of Jesus. Verses 1 through 3, the very first part of verse 3, is the first advent of Jesus. Starting at 3, the last part, all the way down through verse number 10, you have the second advent of the Messiah. My friends, listen. Our Lord came, but just as sure as He came, He's coming again. He's coming again. The Bible says, the angel said to those disciples, looking up as he went to heaven, this same Jesus who has been taken up from you in heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. I'm telling you, it's been one of the blessings of my life over in Israel to climb my way up to the top of the Mount of Olives where Jesus took off. And my friend, let me tell you, that's where he's coming back. To look up in those skies and lift up your head and know your redemption draws nigh. Jesus is coming. This age of gold is coming. What kind of kingdom is coming when Jesus sets up his kingdom? Well, look at verses 3 through 5. It's a kingdom of justice. A kingdom of justice. Verse 3 says, He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. It means this King Jesus won't rule by bribery or popularity or political polls. He will say what is right because his Father says what's right. He won't rule that way. How will he judge? He will judge with righteousness. He will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. What's he going to do in his justice? He's going to vindicate his people. Who are his people who will be vindicated finally at last? It's the poor. He will judge for the poor. Now, friends, listen. This does not just mean financially poor many of his followers are financially poor this means the spiritually poor those who admit their poverty those who say to the Lord I am poverty stricken only you can help me I'm so poor in spirit what did Jesus say blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the what 
the kingdom of God. It is the people who know they have nothing. They're morally, religiously, spiritually bankrupt. And they fling themselves on the riches of Jesus that they become rich forever. The poor in spirit enter the kingdom. Who else is in the kingdom? The meek. Notice this. It says that he will be there to judge and to decide with equity for the meek. What does meek mean? The submissive. People who bow to Jesus. People who surrender to the Lord. What do they receive? What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the meek for they will what? Inherit the earth. The bad don't win. Sin doesn't win. It is the people who poverty stricken in their spirit bow their knee to Jesus. Those are the ones who win because he wins. And when he wins, all the people on his team win, right? The poor and the meek win because Jesus vindicates them. Just hang on, brothers and sisters. When you are sick and tired and so angry in your spirit at how wrong and hatred and bigotry and those who are so despotic in their, in their control of others and you're tired of the political games, my friend, you just wait. The poor in spirit, the meek before Jesus, inherit the earth and his kingdom. He's coming in vindication for his people. But friends, look at verse 4. He's also coming with justice for somebody else. He's coming with vengeance for his enemies. Vengeance for his enemies. The Bible says he's coming, verse 4, to strike the earth. Do you see that? The rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Jesus, when he comes back, he doesn't need atom bombs. He doesn't need attack helicopters. He doesn't need hydrogen bombs or interballistic missiles. All he has to do is speak the word. And out of his mouth comes the sharp word of God, which will bring the defeat of the foes. What an awful day that will be. Another prophet 800 years ago saw it. An old man out on a little clump of charcoal out in the Mediterranean had a vision of Jesus coming back. 800 years after Isaiah, he saw it. This man's name was John. He saw the king returning in a vision. What did he write? Here's what he wrote. Revelation 19, verse 11, listen. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is Jesus. His eyes are like a flame of fire. He has on his head many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but him himself. He's one of a kind. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven are arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. They were following him on white horses. 
From his mouth comes what? A sharp sword. It's his word with which he will strike the nations. He will rule them with what? A rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of Almighty God. I read a bumper sticker one time. I've never seen another like it. Jesus is coming and boy is he mad. On his robe and on his thigh, he is a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly overhead, Come gather to the supper of the God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and riders, the fleshes of all men, both free and slave, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against the one who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who is in the presence of him and who had called signs by those to deceive who had received the mark of the beast, those who worship his image. These two, the beast and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword of him, from his mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds gorged with their flesh. Now, friend, that's not a day at Dollywood. That is the day of the Lord. And that day is coming. Jesus is coming in justice, vindicating his people, vengeance on his enemies. And when he establishes his kingdom, it will be a kingdom of justice and peace. Oh, our time is gone as we come to the... Lord's Supper. But think about a kingdom like this. Verse 6. Think about it. It's poetry. What's it trying to express? A picture beyond our imagination. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead these wild beasts. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall each trawl like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra. And the winged child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. That's his kingdom. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters of the sea. What is Isaiah describing here? Perfect peace. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Peace within the hearts of people who've made peace through Jesus Christ. And a peace that comes on this earth under the reign of the Prince of Peace. That's the kingdom that's coming, friends. I can't wait. How about you? It's coming. And friend, peace has already begun. Some of you are here today without peace in your heart. The peace is already offered. Why? Verse 10. Because in that day, 
What's going to happen? Here's another day. The root of, Je- of Jesse, who shall stand as a single a signal to the peoples. This goes back to his ministry now. He's standing. Why? How can Messiah be standing when he was crucified? Because he got up from the dead. And now he's standing and all the nations are being gathered to him. This very moment, it's been continuing for 2,000 years. Around the world, people of every tribe, nation, language, and tongue being gathered by the glorious gospel of the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And they're coming and they're finding the place of his feet glorious. They find peace at the foot of the cross. They find peace at the feet of their Savior as they bow to serve him. That's where only place peace is found. It's only found in the Prince of Peace. But God hasn't forgotten his Jewish people. Yes, the nations are coming in. Verse 11 In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant of the remains of his people. Assyria, Egypt, Pathras, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, from the coastlands of the sea. This is the Jewish people who were scattered under Rome. 50,000 were brought back under The reign of the Babylonians, 50,000 were allowed to come back, actually under the Persians. But they were scattered again by the Romans. And for 1,900 years, the Jewish people had no homeland. And it all encapsulated itself in the terrible, horrible holocaust of World War II. But what began to happen? God stretched out his hand. And for the last 70 years, every day, boat loads, train loads, car loads of people are coming back, the Jewish people, so that when there were no Jews in the land for 1,900 years, now 4 million are there. And they're coming every day. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty said when his son, king of the Jews, came back, the Jewish people would be in that land. And they would be there in unbelief. But they are going to turn and see him whom they have pierced. And Paul tells us there's going to be an ingathering of the Jewish people such as the world has never seen. Because, friend... People are not saved by being Jewish or Gentile. They're saved, Jew and Gentile, by Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. But friends, listen to me. Listen to me. You may think I'm on a premillennial rant. I'm not. God made promises to Abraham. He said, your people will inherit this land. He said, one more time, I'm going to gather my people back from the four corners of the earth. And a miracle is happening in your very day. The people are coming. The world is in turmoil. Jerusalem is a boiling pot. The gospel has gone to the ages around the world. And the people are coming in. Friends, I'm telling you, lift up your head. It's close. Jesus is coming. Now, friend, how is he coming for you? 
He's coming as a deliverer for his people or he's coming as a judge for those who won't bow the knee. Will you bow the knee to him? He, do, he wants you to know his peace. Peace. And there's no peace in any amount of money. There's no peace in any career. There's no peace in any relationship. There's no peace in any accomplishment. But there is peace in Jesus Christ. When you know him, the kingdom has already come to your heart. And I beg you in Jesus' name to know this Savior whose supper we take now. The Lord suffer.